Welcome to Despirituality. We're back. Some of us have been, uh, or some of you have been talking to some of us, and the us have been talking to me. My name's Russ Yule. Got Nathan Schaffenoff, Mike Query on the mics, and Stone Eliezer will be joining us in a little bit. But we've been talking about the delay and not getting out podcasts, and Mike and Nathan have been assaulting, attacking, pressuring me to get back into the studio and produce podcasts. I've been trying to explain them. It takes time to develop material because I like to make sure I'm living it and changing and and doing it before I start talking about things in theory. Uh, But uh, both those guys feel like a lot of you guys have been using our podcast, and that's one of the reasons you're excited about trying to get it it going, right? Is that what you're thinking? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Feedback we've gotten is that people like to listen to it on their commute. Um, and they, we've gotten some angry texts about where's, where's my podcast on a Wednesday? Um, (laughs) you know, but you know, I think it it takes time to cook up some great stuff. So the passionate, spiritually passionate text. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of exclamation points. (laughs) What do you think they like most, Mike? What what are you hearing? Uh, I mean, generally the feedback I've been getting, uh, has been, it's helpful just hearing spiritual conversations, especially Nate mentioned the drive time. I think having an ability to, uh, hear some scriptures, hear them discussed, take it to places that maybe you wouldn't have gotten on your own, uh, is helpful for people, yeah. especially, you know, if you're, uh, in a position where, you know, you're feeling rushed or in between things, uh, being able to supplement that time or, you know, add on to what you're trying to learn on your own. Um, people said it's been helpful just putting themselves in the living room, so to speak, in the, yeah. the conversation. Yeah, that's cool. That's great to know. Uh, I know we're hearing from people that are all around the country, all around the world, that are kind of utilizing it, right? Mm-hmm. Predominantly um, in the United States, but some people abroad as well. Well, you got to get to work then. Make sure people in the broad know about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they know about it. Are you guys doing the job on social media? That's, that's an error we need to very much improve on. Well, why don't you get our... Why don't we get our listeners out there to help us out? What do you need our listeners to do to help us out? Like and share. I think as whatever whatever episode means a lot to you, if you share that personally, a little write-up on Facebook, a little throw-up on Instagram, a little put-out there on Twitter, a little tweet, uh, the things that help you, if you share that and just highlight uh, how it's helped you in your personal relationship with God, your personal walk with God, it's going to spread. Yeah. Your friends will find it. And Is that what you do? I I try to upload the my videos that I make on the Deep Spirituality YouTube channel. If you search for Deep Spirituality, but uh, no, I don't always I don't always tweet it. I don't always Facebook it. I don't always Instagram it. <laughs> I bet Mike. I bet Mike does. <laughs> <laughs> I use it under a different name. <laughs> with, we're, with, this is a this is an inside issue because one of the things is that. Um, uh, not and not everybody knows. Well, how do you how do you share spiritual stuff, especially if your your friends on Facebook or your Twitter or whatever don't they really they they're not friends with you because they want to hear your spiritual insights and yeah. spiritual positions and spiritual thoughts. Definitely. So that's one of the that's one of the challenges. And we always laugh about it because I'm always bringing it up. I, you know, I think that 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 maybe you know you guys should establish an email that people can send ideas uh, to. Because I think they probably have ideas about how it can be shared. I know I have some Facebook friends who they found creative ways to share events. Um, and then also maybe, you know, uh, we can provide a better topics, titles, subject titles that make it a little uh, easier for people to to work with it. Um, but I think we shouldn't be afraid to seek out some, some input and some thoughts from people about what can be done. Uh, we're working really hard here and we are putting it out. 
and we are getting it out on social media, but it's, you know, we live in a, we live in a world today that has, I think a complex relationship with religion. Mm-hmm. And there are people who believe that religion is part of the problem. I mean, that goes back to the John Lennon's Imagine song. By the way, Mike, I watched a. I've been doing a lot of research, I should say, on the Beatles. We had, you and I had this conversation a long oh, time yeah. ago about yeah, great bands and why they're great. You were you were fighting me on the. I was saying they were the best band or something like that. Yeah, I absolutely fought you on that. Yeah, I, I absolutely fought you. On that. I still probably would, but I would know I was wrong. Uh, I would know it was <laughs> out of my sentimentality toward. Um, you know, the bands that I enjoy and like to listen to. But the uniqueness of um, of what they did, I was studying it, looking at it. And, you know, John Lennon, I understand him a little bit better. I think one of his disillusionments, and I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm not an expert in John Lennon, was with religion. That's where that Imagine song comes from. And, and I think he represented a lot of people's belief that religion is the problem. And if you get it out of the way, then a lot is solved. I think that's a little bit historically inaccurate because there's there's a difference between religion as a part of the secular world, uh, meaning back in the 15th, 14th, 14th, 15th, 16th centuries when you have, you know, um, the church being literally part of the government, part of ruling class. There's a difference between that and faith in God and the Bible. And I think sometimes people mix those up. And so people become a little less, little more suspicious and reticent about faith. And hopefully today with the podcast we'll do, we'll begin to give people some things that allow us to have sort of a cross-discipline approach. So there's faith, there's psychology, which is really how our brains work. There's sociology. There's how we interact with each other. There's economics and politics. There's a lot of different factors and aspects to to the human condition and how we interact with each other. And I, and we're, we're going to try more to get the themes we use and the spiritual things we talk about to, to, to pull all of those together in one and make sense of it. And we'll do that today because our topic for today is going to be insecurity. And I think, um, I think it's a big deal and it's a big issue. Uh, and that's, I guess, since we got Mike sitting there, you're now a part of it. Uh, <laughs> Just the like original, that. The, the, the original guests were uh, Nathan Shafenoff and, and Stone Eliezer, but Mike saw the comfortable chair, slipped into it, and, <laughs> and now he's on it, and he can continue to pressure me to create great uh, great uh, uh, podcasts. But this, uh, let me make a couple of recommendations before we go on any further. Um, number one, you've got to see, and I know you saw it, Stone, or at least I think you saw it, you've got to see on Netflix Bruce Springsteen on, on Broadway. Absolutely. Is that thing incredible or what? And phenomenal. Defined intimacy in that whole process. Boy, did it not. And I actually think, you know, and we're going to talk about insecurity and insecurity and intimacy are sort of the, 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 the different pieces of bread on the, on the, on the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm-hmm. I used to love eating those. And so you got the, 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 you know, the, the top part of the bread is insecurity. The bottom part of the bread is, 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 is intimacy. And if you can get those two working together pretty soon, you just have a secure individual. If you navigate that with the jelly and the peanut butter inside, um, but Bruce Springsteen is an incredible storyteller and to watch him on Netflix, tell his story mm. from beginning to end. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest communication experiences I've ever had in my life. Like I'm talking, about, I've had a lot, but I'm saying it, it's profound how incredible it was. And he has an intimate connection to his audiences. And I was hearing about it since the days I was in college in the eighties and I didn't even know who he was. 
I've told the story before, but I got to school in Boston and we were hanging out, a bunch of us. And one of them said, Hey, you know, what kind of music do you like? We're all talking about our music. And someone said, well, do you like the boss? Cause I was from the Midwest and all my friends that I had in college were from the East coast pretty much. Uh, I like knew one person from California in school. Um, and, um, I said, the boss, Oh, I love the boss. And I got her new album and they said her new album. I said, yeah, Diana Ross, the boss, it's her new album upside down, you know, and all that. They're like, no, we're talking about Bruce Springsteen. I said, who is Bruce Springsteen? Uh Oh, and, um, at that time, Bruce Springsteen was building up and he had spent a lot of time in the clubs throughout the East coast. And that's how he built his connection to people. Uh, the story he always tells is, or I've heard him tell is about, uh, doing the opening band for Chicago. And, um, he did not like the crowd, even though there were hundreds, there were thousands of people there. He didn't like their response to his music. And so he told his group, we're never going to do this again. We're going to go back. And I think they call it woodshedding. And we're going to go back and we're going to go into the clubs and find our own audience. And I think that's just, if if you want to see something that will show you what it's like, and, 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 and he does this, what it's like to travel the path out of insecurity and intimacy, I would recommend without question. Um, Bruce Springsteen on Broadway on Netflix. It's worth paying mm. the now increased price, I think, of twelve ninety nine or something. Yeah, you can pay it and then just cancel it after you watch it. Um, most people have Netflix, but we'll make sure to link it in the description below for the podcast. You said guys. most people have Netflix. Most people do. What's the percentage on that? I don't know, but everybody I thought. Oh, so to, most is your three most friends. My, my <laughs> your three friends. <laughs> Four. I found a new one. Four. <laughs> <laughs> I always like it when people say, uh, everybody I talk to, how many everybody. people are you talking to? All three of you them. You and your wife. <laughs> <laughs> you and your kid because your wife won't talk to you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, then the other thing I, 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 I definitely recommend if you get on YouTube, Mike, you'll love this. Look up a guy named Dick Cavett. And he uh, was a talk show host back in the, I don't know, 70s maybe? 60s, 70s. Yeah. 60s, 70s. He does interviews with John Lennon that are and Yoko Ono that are really, really cool. And you get an idea who he is. I recommend if you're out there, take a look at Dick Cavett. He does him. He does Lester Maddox, which is a guy who was governor of, I forget, Alabama, was a known sort of, at least from my understanding of history, a known racist. And uh, they get into this battle and Lester Maddox walks off the set. He gets so mad. And then later on, Dick Cavett has him on again, and they're talking about a, a talk show Lester Maddox is going to have. And then Dick Cavett walks off the set of his own show, jokingly referring to the previous time. But it's some of the best spoken entertainment you could imagine. Uh, hmm. Those two. Those, so, those, those, so three things. Bruce Springsteen, find a documentary on um, – on the Beatles, you got to watch it because if you watch the Beatles and you see how they come along, and then you watch these interviews on Dick Cavett, you'll just learn a lot one about that period of time, but you'll learn a lot about bands because what I learned watching it is how hard those guys worked. They talked about having nothing, and there's some people out there listening. I've never even heard of the Beatles. Well, you know, you can find out about them. You can learn about them. Never heard about Bruce. Me, you could find out about them. You know. And uh, if you can learn about Tupac, you can learn about Bruce and you can learn about the Beatles. It's part of musical history uh, and, and arguably a more relevant part of musical history uh, than, uh, than, than, than is matched by most. So podcasts are great. We all agree on that. We want to get people listening to them uh, more often, sharing them more often. 
you guys are going to create an email and you're going to get it out there so people can send in suggestions for topics. They can send in suggestions for music. We'd like to hear your musical suggestions, your documentary suggestions, your movie. Oh, I got a movie suggestion. Did you guys watch? I'm way behind. I don't go to the movie theater, so I watch Green Book. Did you guys see Green Book? Yes, just saw it. I, I, heard, awesome. I, I just uh, heard of the controversy. What was the controversy? Oops. So, uh, man, we're going to take this podcast a different direction. Um, no, you didn't hear about like so. Just say it. Hollywood's sort of approach to racism versus like the reality of oh, you know what oh, I mean. Like yeah, if you yeah. hang out with an African American long enough, you'll be cured of your racism. Like it's like yeah. that driving Miss Daisy sort yeah. of thing. So people, uh, Spike Lee left. <laughs> if you the, hang out with an African American long enough, you'll be cured of your racism. Yeah, I mean, go listen to like podcast rec. Uh, the daily they did a pretty good uh, oh really they, they did a good discussion on it I mean essentially like people took issue with like how Hollywood portrays uh, oh it's so simple like we just hung out with each other we'll see that we're not so different after all kind yeah. of thing For, that's yeah. why Spike Lee left at the Oscars when it won did so, he leave or did he he, walked, leave. he walked out yeah, he protest. got up stormed out and they had to ask him to come back in <laughs> well you know <laughs> I enjoyed Green Book and uh, the Washington movie. Post critic of Green Book a uh, movie critic. Uh, she uh, talked about this in a podcast. Um, I forgot who she was with, and she raised the issue that it's difficult to address certain subjects because the 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 word on the movie Green Book that uh, um, she described was that it's a favorite movie of older white men. Mm. And okay, so all that said, I like the movie Green Book, and no one's going to tell me that I can't <laughs> like the movie. Uh, I like it because it's got that guy. I can't say his last name, but Ali. Um, I Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. He went to Santa Clara and played basketball. So right there, I got it. He was St. Mary's College. St. Mary's, sorry. Yeah. St. Mary's. That's right, because your sister was at St. Mary's. Yep. You don't want to let me mess that one up. <laughs> Santa Clara's awesome school, too. Steve Nash went there. Um, but I I love that guy as an actor. And he, was, uh, he won an Academy Award uh, previously for Moonlight. The guy's phenomenal, and um, what's the the man, the other guy, the guy who, the white guy in it who was cured of his racism? Oh, Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> Viggo Mortensen. I, honestly, I watched the movie, and don't hate on me. Be, be, I'm an African American, so I I, I can I, I've not been cured of my racism. I didn't have it. Um, I I thought the guy's portrayal, because he's a New Jersey guy, mm-hmm. was profound. Now, here's the trick about. Uh, movies and and um, and racism, right? It depends on who you are, what your culture is, and where you're coming from, whether or not it helps you or not. Um, I I think there are some people, for instance, let me uh, the Spielberg movie. Vince wants the Spielberg movie, Schindler's List. There are some people who can't watch Schindler's List because of the intensity of the persecution of Jews in it, right? And I watched it. I loved it. But there's some people who just can't handle the terrible treatment of a, of a nation. And Band of Brothers has an episode like that where they find a concentration camp. And it is disturbing to the degree. And so sometimes what we need is we need like, you know, um, what do they call it? Like a starter drug, gateway drug. We need a gateway. And I actually think that there are a lot of people who probably – all of us have some kind of ethnic racial bias um, that would really be helped out by Green Book to be able to watch it. Because there are, I mean, I know the kids that are younger that I know, the teenagers, 
They have no idea what Jim Crow is. Uh, I've written papers on it, done studies on it, and created uh, projects based on it. So I do know what Jim Crow is, and I've studied the Jim Crow at Ferris State, etc. So I'm not a novice in this area. But what I do know is this, that if someone is unfamiliar with a certain race or a certain group, they need some way to get interested. And I think Green Book is a movie that might lead you to say, hey, now I want to watch KKK Klansman. But there's some by Spike Lee. But there's some people who will go, I don't want to watch KKK Klansman because Black I don't want to be. Yeah, I don't want to be watching the Klan and I don't want to see any crosses burn and I don't want to see any lynching take place. There's some people like that. And I'm not. And, and I just how it is. Uh, 12 Days a Slave. There's some people like I can't watch all that violence the same way they can't. So you need to we need to always say, look, any movie that advances the ball down the down the field that makes someone sit there and say, wow, I didn't even know that a black person couldn't eat in a restaurant where a white person could eat. Now, here's one for you, all right? Um, and I'll get a little controversial. What's the movie, Denzel Washington football movie? What's that movie? Remember, Remember the, the Titans. Titans. Remember the Titans. Yeah. Remember the Titans, I think it's more around the 60s. But you could argue that that didn't tell the story strong enough. So I love that movie. So I think, I think what it is is Green Book won the Academy Award for Best Movie. If it had not won the Academy Award for Best Movie, it probably wouldn't be as controversial. But it won the Academy Award for Best Movie. Look, quite frankly, in my opinion, I've never agreed with any of the choices they've made for Best Movie. So Rocky didn't win it. And, you know, you know, Black Panther wasn't going to win it because it's a superhero movie. Right. So it's it, the Academy Awards. It was the second lowest rated Academy Awards in history. Like, I just think it's just, to me, it's like watching a fun game show. Right. But. I like the movie Green Book, but I'm glad you brought up the controversy about it because here at the podcast, we ought to be willing to talk about, you know, contemporary events. And if you're out there and you're like, you're wrong, it's a violation of everything. I totally get that. I totally get that. My parents lived through Jim Crow. I, 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 I've been in the South, so I understand that. On the other hand, I'm going to be blunt. I don't know what you guys think. I think there are some older white men who will watch that movie and and go, oh, wow, there's racism that never thought it there existed before. And I'm like, okay, they may be behind, but at least they're coming on in. Now Now you got them into the 18th century. So if we keep moving, we can get them to the Civil War, post-Civil War <laughs> Reconstruction. So, I mean, you know, you take what you can get, right? What do you think about that? Ooh, I'm, I'm sitting this one out, man. <laughs> the oh, that's not, not good. What we're talking about is not controversial. No, I think, well, I don't know. I, th- I see, scared. I'd, I'd say both like taking a position one way or the other. I haven't seen the movie. I'm just kind of reporting back. I think your position makes sense to me. I mean, if, if you're in a spot where you're not thinking about, if you're living in fairy tale land and you get exposed to any kind of reality, that seems like a good thing to yep. me. Yep. So, yep. I didn't know the movie was intent was to solve racism. I thought it was a great story of relationship yeah. that be, that that grew yeah. because of not just proximity, but getting to know somebody yeah. and getting to understand somebody and how they think. That's yeah. what I thought was inspiring about it. Yeah. Well, the problem is, you know, you could argue this. Why wasn't the black guy the lead actor? Right. Why was the white guy the lead actor? Why did he? Why did I, Ma, Maha, What's his name again? Mahershala Ali. Why did he get supporting it? You you could be critical of anything. I just see so many dark movies today. Yeah, like so dark. It's like I watched a movie last night and I'm like, I thought it was going to be really really good, and at the end, 
you know, it's like everybody's killing each other and people are dying. And it's like, golly, I, I think part of what I was, I'm hungry for is just a happy doggone ending. It's like, <laughs> okay, Some positivity. They, they, I don't even want to hear that they, they weren't friends. Just, just tell me they were friends. Tell me that the exactly. Italian family ate pasta with the black dude and everybody lived happily ever after. So, you know, I'm a little hungry for idealism and optimism. True. Hey, we're, we're, we're in the podcast mode now. I, Mike's very nervous over there, folks. He's very scared about talking about this subject. He's like, Oh, we're going to get in trouble. <laughs> yes. This is nothing. This is nothing. Trouble is lynching in the 1940s and 50s and it being allowed. That's trouble. With Green Book and the controversy over whether it depicts racism correctly or not, that's a, maybe a mistake, but it's not trouble. But I liked it, and yep. I recommend it. True. I recommend Broadway, Broadway, Bruce Springsteen, Beatles, Search It Out, Dick Cavett, Green Book, uh, and um, and I I I want to see KKK Klansman, but I haven't been able to get the time to do it. Um, and uh, but I I think that thing is awesome. Did you see it, Vince? I think that thing is awesome. I think it's probably based on what I can tell from what I've seen Spike Lee's greatest movie. Uh, and to see Denzel Washington's son in it. Oh my gosh. So people, if you're sitting there listening and going, where's my spiritual stuff? You know what? You got to relax. You got to enjoy life and you got to talk about contemporary events because what we're talking about is insecurity, insecurity. And really insecurity is what makes us be unwilling to talk about some of these fun and interesting topics. Good point. Very true. Psalm 30, verse 6. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Psalm 30, verse 6. Change has as much to do with unlearning as learning. Unlearning insecure relationship building and leadership at home, work, or school is among the most difficult and important changes to make. It has been and continues to be my most persistent challenge. Have you guys ever thought about the idea? Cause this is something I've been thinking about that insecure relationship building is difficult, is a difficult thing to change. It's for me, it's been a persistent challenge. Um, and that ultimately when you comes to building a relationship with God and becoming a Christian, one of the central focuses should be overcoming that insecurity. My hope is, and this will be up on the site soon in writing is to convince you to join our team at D spirituality on a journey to understand and quiet what my college friends and I used to refer to as our raging insecurities. We used to talk about that. Anytime anybody started acting funky or weird, we go, you got raging insecurities. In my experience, most of our avoidable life and relationship problems stem from issues of insecurity. We don't know who we are, why we are here, and are uncertain whether anyone can love us. What do you think about that premise that most of our relationship and life problems stem from our insecurity? Do, any, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think a lot. Of, I feel like a lot of my issues as a 29-year-old, whatever, millennial person, and just me as Nathan, is a lot of it comes from my insecurity, you know, um, and wondering do people like me, you know, do people care about me? Do I have to perform to get people to, to uh, approve of me, you know? Right. And so, and it makes me, I, I totally can feel just awkward in relationships when I try to uh, build a new friendship or, 
or uh, meet somebody or go into a social setting. I'm like, man, how are these people going to receive me? Do you guys think? Do you guys think most people think that the problems they have in relationships stem from insecurity, or do you think it's other things? I don't think people think of the word insecurity. I think they think they're they they have a list of reasons whether they feel like they're good at relationships right. or not. But I don't think insecurity is a word that comes to the forefront. I know for me, I'll either think talent or ability yeah. or opportunity yeah. or how I was raised, experiences, my my the family I grew up in. Right. Those are all things that I come to my mind. But the word insecurity was never usually associated with relationships. It, it's a word usually associated with timidity or whether I like talking. Yeah. And so I, I don't think we actually have a good definition of the term insecurity. See, I think one of, the, one of my things I've been learning and listening to people reading the Bible and praying is, and looking at my life, going back and looking at the decades of my life that have gone by, is that most of my life problems and most of the avoidable, avoidable, there's some unavoidable life problems you can have. You get sick, you know, of a disease. Um, I had my sister die of brain cancer. That is not an avoidable life problem in the sense you can't just go, oh, you know, I can just magically do away with that one. But most avoidable life and, and relationship problems are are based on our insecurities. That's my, my thinking. And I think it comes down to three questions. Do you know? Who you are, do you know why you're here, and do you have a certainty and a confidence uh, that someone loves you, can love you, not will, but can, that you're lovable? It sounds kind of maybe weird, but it's really true. Uh, most of us, I think, don't, don't necessarily believe we're lovable, don't believe that if someone knew everything about us, that they would still love us, still choose to love us. That's why we tend to hide. But my, my core belief is... When the psalmist writes, when I felt secure, I said I will never be shaken, is that most of us can be easily shaken because we are not sure of those three questions, and then it causes problems in our relationships. For instance, I think a lot of times people get bitter toward each other, but no one ever introduces into the conversation, is the root issue bitterness or is the root issue insecurity? What do you think, Mike? Well, I was thinking about how I think this subject, thinking about it now, is pretty deep. I think I've come with a dumbed-down definition of insecurity. Right? I've typically associated insecurity with being self-conscious about how I look or how I'm talking. Right? So it's kind of momentary. Right. You know. So it's up until you know this conversation. To be honest. So thinking of it at a like those sort of almost existential questions. Right. Like yeah. uh, who am? Like those aren't questions I would have associated with insecurity or security. I, I would have mostly thought about it in terms of, you know, how to avoid being embarrassed or, you know, feeling a little bit better about myself. See, and I agree with that. Now, now your, your, my background is coming out of the secular world. I was mm-hmm. raised, in my opinion, my parents tried to make me a little spiritual, but I, I was it totally... Uh, <laughs> it didn't work. Uh, it, no, it didn't work at all. It, 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 I, I, that dog wouldn't hunt anything. Um, and so I was very committed to believing in the secular, you know, very early on, sixth grade, I was looking at philosophy, physics, um, a history. Those are the things I wanted to read about. I wouldn't read any fiction books. I wouldn't read any spiritual books. I didn't want to know about it. I didn't want to. I just, you know, I I'm, I believe more in aliens than I believed in in God. You know, um, but and so I think your background affects even how you come at everything. But do you think part of that sort of 
oversimplification of the word insecurity could come from having grown up in church? I think so. I mean, I think coming up in church, I mean, you, you hear a lot of terms a lot, right? Insecurity being one of them. Okay. And so I think if you hear it repeated ad nauseum, it's sort of, it's like anything, it sort of loses its meaning yes. over time. Yes. And so you just sort of learn how to associate words with certain behaviors or, right. you know, so in my case, you know, if you're, if you're proud you know, that guy's really proud, you know, then he's, that means he's, you know, either braggadocious or yeah. whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? So uh, insecurity is one of them. You can easily say, like, okay, you got to stop being so insecure or, you know, like you, right. you can use these words to address behavior a lot. So in, in my case, I've just over years and years and years of hearing the term associated with acting this way or feeling this way. Right. Right. That's, there hasn't really been much of a reason to think deeper about it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So insecurity now going to, you know, the having a, uh, unshakability if you're secure, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a different depth or a, a different approach because it doesn't have, right. it has to do with a little bit more than I guess just how am I, how do I look right now in this moment? It's one of the reasons I think that Christians can be deceived. Christians can be deceived and think they're immune to what I call the insidious impact of insecurity, meaning that it's at work on you even when you don't feel it, even when you don't know it, even when you don't see it, and when no one points it out. So Christians can be deceived and think they are immune to the insidious impact of insecurity, but 1 Corinthians 8.1 teaches something different. 1 Corinthians 8.1 is an interesting passage of Scripture. When we are insecure, and this is what I think 1 Corinthians 8.1 teaches, when we are insecure, we limit the scriptures to the intellectual. And often with what I call distancing intentionality, meaning that it's very purposeful and very calculated focus on the intellectual aspect of scripture to create distance so that you don't ask me questions about my life, about my marriage, about my family, about my uh, thought processes, about my motives. I don't want you doing that. So I'm going to keep the scriptures on a very intellectual level. What does that one word mean? What does what is the context of that? I'm not saying there's only important, but what happens is we end up using the scriptures as a way to create emotional distance. I write I write this we are in, when we are insecure, we limit the scriptures to the intellectual and often with distancing intentionality build emotionally superficial rather than deep relationships. First Corinthians eight, one of the new living actually says this now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. And so what oftentimes you'll get going is people will get into a big debate in first Corinthians eight, eight, one or Romans 14 about opinion issues. What's an opinion issue? How do you make decisions? These people ate food, you know, regarding idols. These people didn't. And they get wrapped up in that. But I think Paul's trying to tell us something. He's trying to say, look, the point of the Bible is not to spend your time debating and arguing other about the meaning of words and about even minute doctrinal issues. The point of the Bible is to understand that it's not an intellectual pursuit only. There's an emotional and spiritual component to this, which is love. We can become satisfied with and perhaps even prefer emotionally disconnected or what I call religious relationships. Those focus more on these things. Number one, Focus more on people than God. Number two, behavior than heart. Number three, appearances than attachments. And number four, dangerously, over time, when you have this kind of unspiritual, 
legalistic, intellectually hyper-focused culture of building relationships, over time, you know, we were talking about movies before, it becomes a little bit more about, do I have an award-winning performance as I go to church as opposed to an intimate friendship with God and people? And so one of the great things that you have to look at when you're dealing with insecurity is understand what, Mike, you were saying. We end up not dealing with the depth of insecurity because we don't want to, because we don't want to look at the emotional, the spiritual, and we don't want to look at, okay, why would I be superficial? I'm worried about what people think about me, and I'm not secure in what God thinks about me. Yep. Why would I be uh, insecure Because in trying to perform? Because I'm concerned about what's in my heart, and I don't trust that if I tell somebody what's on my heart that they're going to love me, uh, care about me, want to be in a relationship with me, so I'm going to get my behavior right so I fit into the Christian culture. Uh, number three, appearances other than attachments. A lot of times what we want is we want the appearance of friendship. I'm hanging out with these people. I'm around these people. I've got people to go see movies with as opposed to I've got attachments, devoted friendships that are there with me through thick and through thin who know me from top to bottom and won't reject me just because I've failed. And then the danger, I think, is like I said, over time, people become, I mean, we've all been to church and stuff. There are some people that are incredible performers. I mean, they would beat out, what's the guy's name again? Mahershala Ali. Yes, they would defeat him for best supporting actor because they're really, really good at having the nomenclature of the church down, the actions, the look, the way to speak, the way to behave, the way to dribble out your failures at such a rate that you don't seem like you failed. I mean, all these incredible things. And so when we're talking about insecurity, we have to talk about the possibility that as Christians, it's not so much that we haven't looked at it and that there isn't a lot to look at. It's that we live in a deception where we just assume the only people that are insecure are people who don't go to church. What do you think? I was gravitating back to the First Corinthians 8.1 scripture about knowledge makes us feel important. Yeah. I think the feeling important part really stood out to me. I right. was like, so much of the time I want to chase after feeling important. So I'm like, let me do good at whatever, producing podcasts or making videos or right. like, or doing these per- religious performances, those yeah. Academy Award, you know, yes. church awarded yes. <laughs> performances, yes. Yes. you know, all in the effort to chasing after feeling important and mm. making, um, rather than making that connection. I like the word chase. Because because he says if it is love that strengthens strengthens the church at the end of First Corinthians eight one and it goes from a singular person like me I want to feel I want to feel important to like no it's about strength it's about other people it's about strengthening the church about yeah. about your connection together as people strengthen well the there's church. an implied there right the implied is that there are people who think that strengthening the church is about increasing the knowledge people have hmm. and Paul is saying it's not about teasing out all these little controversial issues. It's about do you have the capacity to love each other? And love is about attachments. Love is about heart. Love is about emotion. Love is not about being right. And I've been around church long enough to know that sometimes the big discussion is who's right. And Paul's going, you guys are missing the boat. It's not about who's right. It's about who has the capacity to love somebody. And you know what? I don't know about you guys, but when I love somebody, I'm a lot less concerned about whether I'm right or they're right. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're right because you're like, hey, I got your back, you got my back. Exactly. Like you're you're somebody I would call in the middle of the night if I needed something, and, exactly. and I knew you would do something because being right is about being important, being superior than the other person. Absolutely. You know, and you were talking about how we can prefer emotional and being emotionally disconnected. Yes. You know, and so much of for me, I prefer to be emotionally disconnected. 
I was even talking to some this morning getting coffee. I was like, I feel like different time. I, I don't know. I can, maybe I'm different than most people, but oftentimes I can feel like on a weekly basis, I can like cry about something because some things are going on in, yeah. in my life, whether, you know, fertility stuff with my marriage or uh, grandparents' health declining or just situations, feeling for people. I'm like, and I'd prefer just to be emotionally disconnected and not get to that place right feel what I feel, right. be that kind of emotionally intent in whatever air quotes intense about it, yeah. you know? And so I'm like, oh, I definitely prefer to be emotionally d- disconnected. That's interesting. That's interesting. Go for it. Well, I know when growing up, going to church and that tend to make judgments about people based on their social confidence. If they're, they're willing to talk and carry a conversation yeah. in a crowd, we go, that's a secure person. Right. But I, and I that that was my definition. I can always considered. I never considered myself insecure because I was social. Yes, I'm comfortable talking and talking in large or small crowds, and felt very confident in that. But I don't like the emotional uh, connection. Yes, you know that's very difficult for me. And then getting married, that was the struggle in our marriage. Is right. my wife wanted emotional intimacy and i it scared me you have to become known to do that so i I do think we make judgments on how comfortable people seem to appear in just being social and define security by that defining it by being known and being and wanting emotional connection that was never in my mind yeah even in growing up and going to churches and 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 failed in that most of my life right and and sometimes i covered up that insecurity by being social. And so you can create a a false sense of security by just being, by talking a lot. Yes. And so, yeah, I don't think we have that, that definition of security in churches, I think is more how social someone is and not how emotionally connected they are. Yeah. And security based on that is a whole different world. Well, and what you're really talking about is the difference between confidence and security. Someone can have an outward confidence. That doesn't mean they have an internal confidence. Right. And so an outward confidence, for the most part, is a performance. That's why, exactly. that, that's why you know, you pick your favorite movie, right? And, um, and, and you can start to believe that actor's a doctor. Right. You know? And right. I've heard stories where um, peop, uh, actors have been in, like, an airport or something's gone wrong, and people have come up to them and said, hey, can you help them? Because they were an actor. <laughs> and so what is acting but the capacity to hone your outward performance to appear capable of doing anything. Acting shows you, it really shows you how easy it is. Not that acting is easy, it's actually quite hard. But it shows you the capacity for a human being to project something on the outside that they are not at all on the inside. To inhabit a personality and a skill set you do not possess and, uh, and you, you know, you get the random guys like uh, Bradley Cooper, who goes out and learns how to sing. And now some people are arguing that he didn't learn how to sing. But again, I thought his singing was good. Sounded good uh, to me. Although I didn't watch the movie. I didn't watch the movie. He hung out with Eddie Vedder. That's all I know. He hung out with Eddie Vedder. Who's Eddie Vedder? Who's that? Pearl Jam. We have to segue this Pearl podcast. Jam. Bill Simmons likes Pearl Jam. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, they're not on my list. Oh man! But I'm ne- happy next for you. episode. We're, you have we're... more to say about Pearl Jam than you have to say about insecurity, though. I, I must say that I have, I have a lot more to say about Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the lead singer for Pearl Jam? Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder. That's his. What, I, I thought it was Bon, bon Jovi or something. No, that's Bon Jovi. No, no, that's that bon was, Jovi. The era right before was Bon Jovi and hair metal, and then Nirvana and Pearl Jam Nirvana came and was... killed all that. And then they killed early nineties. Who 90s. killed Pearl Jam? They're still around. 
No, no. They were killed because I don't know about them. <laughs> so who killed Pearl Jam? Who put them out? Can't, can't answer. Well, okay. The the era that came after would be like uh, Backstreet Boys and all that stuff, I think. Yeah. That the Backstreet Boys could take anybody out. Yeah, says yeah. a lot about them. But late, anyway. late 90s. That took we a could lead singer for Nirvana. Hey, I Kurt have a Cobain. question Kurt for you, Cobain. I have a question for you, though. You're kind of quiet. What do you think? Is about that a question? You're saying this is oh. a deep subject. <laughs> you're saying this is a deep subject. Um, why, what, why, why, why does it... Why, why does it? Because I think a lot of people are probably going. Now, some people are back at Green Book trying to figure that out. <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, my opinions about that are not that strong. I'm just casually talking. Um, but what? W- why does it feel so? I can't. I can't grab a word for it. But deep or overwhelming or like, because I think there's a lot of people that are right in your lane with this is a this is a topic I've not really considered or didn't know had that much bandwidth to it yeah well i mean it seems like it can go in a lot of directions i think is what i'm taking like the thing i was sort of latching on to is that you know you mentioned like the emotional disconnection that happens if you don't have like the internal confidence or security like it's going to make you too prone to wanting people to like you so i'm sort of talking about myself now i guess like so i don't see that as a possibility that i can get people to like me very much so i'm going to withdraw more i guess is what i'm learning so like the isolation being the end point of insecurity and so isn't that a fear of rejection yeah yeah and that's sure. the acid test in my life exactly i think i can go back to young years seven years old and experiencing i think it was seven, i think it was seven experiencing my first sensation of rejection and going i don't like that mm-hmm. i didn't have a word for it i just know that what i just shared wasn't accepted and for me, I remember I felt like I was being vulnerable talking about, you know, some girl I liked at school or something in second grade. When rejection is not something people like talking about. Last night, my wife and I, Amy, we were talking and she had to prompt me like four times. I think you're feeling rejected and hurt. And I'm like, nah. And then finally, like, okay, yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, it's a vulnerable just even admitting. Yes. You know, I put myself out there a little bit and didn't get something back. And see, I, I think this is an important thing because here's here's a couple of things I want you to think about that are tied into this. Whether we're religious or not, insecurity has an emotionally dulling or inhibiting effect on everything we do and especially everyone we know. That's what you're talking about, what you were talking about last night, Mike, is that I've seen in my life that my insecurity dulls my relationships because we end up talking to each other about people we really aren't. And so it's this it's this not sharp, not inspiring, not attaching relationship. It's a fake relationship. Even though neither one of us wants to be a fake, it becomes a fake relationship because we're too afraid to be transparent and too, too afraid to be open. Now, why is all this important if you're listening? Because we're not going to see our need for God if we don't see what we need from God. You can't see your need for God if you don't know what you need from him. And so a lot of us spend our time going, well, I need a job. I need a car. I need a house. I need to get married. I right. need to have kids. And so we see all those physical things, all those things, dare I use a religious terminology from time, uh, times uh, uh, past. Um, we, 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 we want God to give us the reward, the physical earthly thing. And yet I think what God is really aiming for is to give us his heart. And when he gives us his heart, that's what Romans 5 says. He says in, in Romans 5, it talks about the suffering we go through and all the qualities of character that are built up. And then at the very end there, down about verse 4, verse 5, it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of times we read that, we don't know what that means. That means God is trying to make us feel secure. He's trying to let us know that 
your father and mother, your brother, your sister, your employer, they may all abandon you at some point or let you down at some point, but I will always be there. And I think when you don't have that kind of internal security from God, you end up having emotionally dull and inhibited relations with people. First Corinthians 8.1 implies our pursuit of importance. This is what you're talking about, Nathan. Our pursuit of importance in the eyes of people is a decision that undermines our capacity to love them. When we are focused, I don't think it's a bad thing to have people like you. I think it's a good thing to have people like you. I think the problem is when you want people to worship you. We say like, but we mean worship. Mm. We say like, but we mean adore. We say like, but we mean popular with. I mean, people like, if someone, if you're walking down the street and your neighbor says hello, they like you. But we don't want, we don't want hello. We want a whole lot more of that. We want, you're the smartest, greatest, (laughs) bestest, most talentedest, singingest, sweetest, we want True. all the ests. Yeah. If it just came down to liking, if someone's willing to sit next to you in the, on the bus, they like you. I mean, if they didn't like you, they wouldn't sit there. I mean, they feel comfortable with you. But I think we want a lot more, and that's our insecurity. I was writing about this this morning. It's this hunger we have inside of us. I can't remember the exact 16, Proverbs sixteen twenty six maybe. I can't remember it. I, I wasn't going to talk about it today. It says, the laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. Most of our hunger is a hunger to have people say, oh, wow, you're incredible. We're not satisfied with like, and most of the time we're not satisfied with love. We want worship. We want somebody to look at us with that. That's why we like all those romantic movies, right, where the the girl or the guy's looking at the other, oh, my gosh. And notice how romantic movies only tell you the beginning of the relationship. <laughs> Not they don't. They, they don't. Say, they don't tell you. Thirty years later, true. two kids paying true. for tuition. You know, broken down house, can't afford a car. They don't show you that part. <laughs> they just show you all the infatuation part. Yeah, because the infatuation part is the rush. And so what we end up walking around doing a lot. I think is in looking for that infatuated kind of worshipful kind of <gasps> starstruck. And we. But what we do is we all do this. I do this. We call that like. That's not like. Like, if I like you, I'm like, hey, nice Nike sweatshirt, uh, Nate, man, we got to hang out sometime. That's like, but we don't want that. We want nice Nike sweatshirt on the podcast. You remind me of Bill Simmons, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> you ought to start your own company. Yeah, you totally. Know? That's what it's like. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Stone, you're, you, oh, you think of something, Mike? Oh, I just, the, the way I related to the um, worship thing, because my initial is like, man, I don't want people, I don't, that's weird to me, but I, I can feel like I have a hard time. I'm too unsettled if people are unhappy with me. Yes. Right. And so that's essentially to me the same thing. That's kind of where I landed. Right. Like I I need people all the time to have a good vibe towards me. Otherwise, like I'm unsettled. Right. So it's not like, although I'm sure, you know, don't wouldn't want wouldn't not want that. Right. Like the the adulation and stuff. But like generally. I'm I'm in need of that too much, right? Well, and and I think what you've done is you, you you've you've put a layer on it that's probably more relatable to more pe- more people than the one I mentioned. I, maybe I'm more in the lane if I want to be worshipped, right? <laughs> um, but it's driven by the insecurity, right? Right. People totally. feel good about you when right. they're sitting with you. They feel good about you, but they don't feel good enough about you, right? And that's right. unsettling. You right. what you want something else, right? Right. Other I mean, than what they're giving, right? Something. Ultimately, they can't really, right? So it's what, always. Do you ever know what it is you want? Like when you're sitting there and you're unsettled, do you know what they could do to make you feel? 
That's a good question. I don't know. Because it, it, it'd be unrealistic to expect them to be like, hey, Mike, I just want to take a pause just to let you know I feel really good about a relationship. You're a great guy. You know, like, I I don't know if I expect that, but it's like I want to feel that. Yeah. And I can't put a picture or say exactly what would need to occur for that to happen. So it's constant disappointment, right? See, what I like what you're doing is you're, you're fleshing out how you deal with it. And I think that's what we want to do. This is really just the introductory part. We're just getting introductions started. Go ahead, Stone. Yeah, I think sometimes the, the confusion for me is uh, I, I think I want, I mean, I always want to be liked, but I think it's the attention that being liked gets, right? So, you know, when you were defining like somebody likes you because they like being around you. Yeah. I'm, I, I could have that, but, but then I need to say something or do something to get their attention. Right. And I think the attention part probably, I'm learning about this too, as so I'm listening to Mike and I'm going, yeah, I actually think it's the attention that I like. And so I have to make somebody laugh. I have to tell a story. I right. need their I need their reaction to what I'm saying yeah. to make me feel good. Yeah. And I think that's sort of an insatiable thing, unfortunately. Well, that's true. You're a real social guy. So you like right. you have the ability. To, so I wonder if that drives that or if that's. Well, you know, as as we're talking, I start to wonder if the social st- is 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 the is helps me uh, feel good about myself without being known. Because uh, I'm I get fearful about being known, right? Right. But if I can get somebody to laugh at something I say or to be interested in something I say, that's a great substitute for me. Because I've seen you start a conversation with someone in the supermarket about horses, you know, so you can talk with anybody. <laughs> But it's it's interesting to think about how like what's underneath that. Well, I, I mean, I do enjoy people. Yeah. I'm not. It's a, don't get me wrong. I enjoy people, but I think that sometimes the this this concept of insecurity, I had never thought about it before. So as we're talking about it, and I'm thinking about it, I go, keep going back to how well am I known? How well will the guy in the supermarket in the story about horses get to really know me? Probably not very much. But we'll enjoy an interaction mm-hmm. that'll make me feel good. Because I got, you know, an inter- a, a reaction uh, and maybe attention. Yeah, I, but- I think at the end of the day, and if you're out there listening, you go, what, what am I trying to do with this? I think at the end of the day, insecurity is a condition of heart. Mm-hmm. It's not a social condition. Mm-hmm. So whether or not you're kind to the guy at the supermarket and talk to him, that's kindness, I think. Stone's just being a kind person. But what enters into it is when our motive, and when you're, when we're, if we're sitting there thinking about ourselves and then thinking, I want somebody to say something about me. What is that? Sense security? No, but I mean, what are you asking that person to do? Validate so, you? You're asking them to change their whole mindset, change their whole focus, and make it you. Ah. If I'm, if I, if I'm sitting here drinking exactly. my soda, I don't drink soda, but if I'm sitting here drinking my soda, and Nathan's over there feeling bad about himself, and Nathan wants me to say to him, Hey, Nate, how you doing, man? You feeling good? I'm feeling good about you. What is that? That's weird. That's what that is. <laughs> That's worship. That's worship. What, what, the, whole, the only person who should be worshipped is God. Exactly. God is yeah. the only one who we should all take our attention and say, you know what? I should give him my attention. Mm-hmm. My whole unvarnished, undivided attention. But I don't think any human being deserves that. But I think a lot of us want that. Oh, yeah. We definitely want And to me, it. that's what I classify as worship. Now, here's why that's important. You can't worship God under two circumstances, simplifying it. You can't worship God if you worship yourself. Right. 
and you can't worship God if you're worshiping other people. And I'm guilty of being a person in leadership in life who has wanted to draw people to me. Now, when we're talking about, you know, you were talking about Stone's personality is more outward, you're more uh, more extroverted, you're more in, introverted, Mike and Stone. Both of them have their mechanisms to get the attention. And so how you get attention doesn't matter. It's what motivates you to seek it. And so if I'm seeking attachment and I'm saying I want to be close to you. Right. Then I'm not waiting for Nathan to, to – Nathan's not – if Nathan wants to be close to me, I'm not going to wait for him to say, Russ, you're okay with me. I'm going to say, hey, Nathan, man, we got to spend some time together. I kind of miss hanging out with you. We haven't done anything fun. But if I just sit there and then get moody or something and want Nathan to say you're okay, that's an issue where I'm saying I want to take Nathan's focus off of his life. I want to get Nathan to think just about me. And I think there are a lot of people that – don't look at relationship and ask themselves the question, what's motivating my bitterness? What's motivating my anger? Sometimes it's the fact that we're, we're an empty soul and that inside yeah. we don't have enough God to make up for that. Now, I think there's some things we can talk about in another episode about what happens in communities and churches when you don't deal with this, because that's what's important. I, 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 this, again, if you're out there, this is less a study then an introduction to the concepts. If you want to go to a great book, there's two great books of the Bible to read and think about um, insecurity, idolatry. Idolatry really is the word to use when you're talking about our tendency to worship things, to worship ourselves, or to worship anything other than God. And what is worship but that focused, hyper-focused, singular focus on something or someone? And we can do it to a celebrity, we can do it to a friend, we can do it to a neighbor. The sins of insecurity often are envy, jealousy, uh, sometimes competitiveness. All these things are about how do I get the attention on me because I'm soul hungry and empty inside and God hasn't filled it up. And so I'm more out there pushing for how do we build better relationships? We're not going to build better relationships by critiquing each other to death. We're going to build better relationships by looking inside and saying, what's driving me from the inside out that makes me want to be so destructive of other people and so critical of other people and so negative on other people? And so uh, we hope to have you join us for our next one. Again, we've missed you. Mike and Nathan have been pushing it. We're going to get going now. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll be coming through soon. This is Deep Spirituality, and we're done.